Hey everyone, Eric Watson here, and this is the recorded audio of a DM-only live stream in which I prepare for our next live session and chat with fans each week at my Rogue Watson YouTube channel. Please note that these streams are full of DM spoilers. This was not originally intended for an audio-only format, but has been converted to a podcast for your convenience. The channel and by extension this podcast are supported by Patreon. If you'd like to support my work, you can do so at patreon.com slash roguewatson. Enjoy the show. Watson here, freelance writer, player of games, writer of words, recorder of videos, and a tabletop role-playing aficionado. Welcome to a Monday edition of my bi-weekly behind-the-scenes DM-only livestream, Crafting Icewind Dale, in which I build right and prepare for our next session of Rime of the Frostmaiden. If you are playing characters of all Robin, Frey, Celeste, Edmund, or Thimbleweed, this is not meant for you, even though it's a new weekly crafting stream. But for the rest of you, welcome. There will be spoilers tonight. Stream our D&D sessions live on YouTube every Friday evening. We are officially back. Happy New Year. Watch all of our D&D live series as well as reviews and Let's Plays on my YouTube channel. Read weekly session recaps at roguewatson.com. You can follow me on Twitter at roguewatson and join our official Discord server with invite link in the description below. If you'd like to support the channel, please check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. For our campaign, we use roll20.net. And for streaming, I use open broadcaster software with Streamlabs. Bear with me because it has been a hot minute since I last even thought about D&D. Uh, our last regularly scheduled week was like three weeks ago. And I've done some soul searching and some adjusting and looking at the future and everything I want to do with the channel. And uh, I've got I've got some ideas in the pipeline, but I think um, I want to definitely obviously double down on the big D&D show that we do every week and I know that the crafting stream has been really helpful for a lot of you and frankly very helpful for me as well so why not just extend that love out and uh, a lot of you are already show up for Monday night for the Let's Play streams uh, and some of you would love to attend a crafting stream but couldn't make the uh what is it, noon central U.S. time zone on Thursday, so this gives you another chance to uh, see all my D&D prep and join live so I can get that delicious feedback from all of you. So hello to Nick, Nathan, Maze Man, Far Realm Rollers. I hope everybody had a wonderful holiday break, by the way. Uh, it's been, I think, yeah, last time I did a crafting stream, it was like mid-December, so New Year... And we are still in the middle of sunlight, so this is <laughs> uh, this is going to be a hell of a session to prep because it's it's going to be uh, rusty, right? There's it's a this to use a sports analogy. It's coming off of that rust, and we got to get back in a training camp. Except we're in the middle of a goddamn we're in the middle of what is one of the larger, more complex dungeons of this entire campaign. And we had basically just reached a situation where we had kind of triggered the major um, event here, which is the a, a possible civil war in the Dwergar between um, the Grandalfa faction and the Zardarok faction, which Edmund, bless his heart, which I did get to see the TOs over uh, the holiday break for uh, one day, which was amazing. Um, he just ran with Edmund's storyline and the Dwerger and, and, you know, and embodying the, uh, the sun and that all worked really well. In fact, to prep for this crafting stream, I literally watched the last like 15 minutes of our last stream just so I could put myself back in that headspace about, okay, what just happened? Like, what had I witnessed? What was, you know, what, what was going on? What was the exact moment? Because, I am at this point like actively reacting to what the players are doing. 
So how we left things off was Edmund had waltzed down this watchtower in the main forge room. I had described the room to him. And Zardarok had called for the Mind Flayer to be ritualistically slain and, you know, kind of a ribbon-cutting ceremony for the dragon. The dragon's basically ready to go, and now they're just waiting to, you know, he he gave the big speech because, of course, he did. I wanted the villain to give a big speech, um, as all good villains do. And he was calling for the captured Mind Flayer, whom the players had met previously and freed, to be brought out and killed and blood spilled all the Shardland dragon to bless its voyage, blah, blah, blah. Um, which was an interesting wrinkle for the players because they had to then go, oh shit, we they're going to figure out pretty quick that that Mind Flayer is not there anymore and that's going to probably set off an alarm. And then the party decided to split at that point with everybody but Edmund returning to the temple room where the Mind Flayer no longer is, um, but which has a direct door to the forge, which the players weren't necessarily expecting that to be the case. It's always interesting because, you know, for so long as a DM, you're staring at the map and you have all the information. So you make all these assumptions based on what the players are going to choose to do. And I'm always forgetting that the players don't see any of that. They're just seeing, you know, shit like this. Um, for those of you listening in the future podcast, I'm looking through the eyes of one of my player character tokens. So they, you know, completely don't realize that this next room is the giant big forge boss room, basically. Um, and then Edmund disguised as the sun, walked over to the watchtower, and basically revealed himself as the sun, um, Dearth, I believe, Sunblight, um, and ended up really challenging his father, and inadvertently, or maybe inadvertently, <laughs> um, capitalizing on what Grandalfa had said, which is, hey, there are some Dwerger here that aren't, um, you know, keen on what's going on and how Zardarok's leading them and everything, and essentially there's, you know, you can a smart player could exploit that. And I was thinking, like, you'd have to join forces with Grandalf to do that, but because he's got disguised self and he's just been role-playing so well, he was able to basically kind of jump ahead of Grandalf and just kind of take over the reins of the uh, the rebellion itself, which is great because you want that shit to be player-focused, right? You want to reward your players for having that kind of initiative. So I basically set off the rebellion that Edmund started, which is fucking fun <laughs> but it also is a huge challenge because um it, it mentions in the book that i think i think two of the three dwergar are loyal to grendel i need to actually see let's go to x yeah x24 big ass dungeon uh, three guards are stationed atop each tower, 12 Dwergar in total. One guard on each tower is secretly loyal to Grendalfa. So it's the Grendalfa faction. So, one of each of these guards, which if you noticed, I think I'd be reminded of this, but on the watchtower that Edmund was in, two of them were hostile to him, and then one of them joined forces with him, which um, you know caused him to then <laughs> yeet off the other two Dwergar. Basically, they both ended up surviving a... 20-foot drop wasn't actually that painful. And I think the third one, he was calling to himself as he ran backwards. I did get a little bit of a DM magic by having Zardarok, like, slam into Edmund with an attack, and then I think one of the Dwergar attacked Edmund, so he's actually hurting really bad. Um, but he's also escaping, and he's got a Dwergar with him. Um, and then I figured... See how there was. I, I put a bunch of Dwerger from the barracks room, which is. Uh, which one was this? X33. And I think there were more of them that were loyal to Grand Alpha in this room. 15 Dwerger occupy this area. 10 of the Dwerger have secretly pledged their loyal to Grand Alpha. So 10 of the 15 are actually part of the rebellion. So you figure. You know, I think three of those were here in the watch... Or two of them were added there from the watchtower. Um, and then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. There's ten on the ground. I think I did ten on the ground and two in this watchtower that were from the barracks. So, boy, actually most of those would be from... I, I'd probably I'd probably just change it to be somewhere in the middle, maybe. just It, it seems more cinematic that they'd turn on each other, but enough to where it would occupy, in other words, most of the Dwerger 
in this room, I think, at least for the moment, which is why I kind of ended combat because, oh, I guess get the other situation. So the other situation is that the, the ones that were sent to go pick up the Mind Flare were two r random Quagoth grunts, which the other party um, dispatched and then managed to shut this door to try and hide the fact that they're in there. Now, obviously, this door guard knows there's something going on in here. Um, maybe not quite sure, but is essentially I... I allowed everybody to drop out of combat, although if Frey says, no, I want to stay in combat, I'm, I'm going to allow that, and everybody's going to re-enter combat, and it'll be up to them to either stop her or allow her to burst through that door and keep fighting. Or I'm letting them stop combat to where they can briefly re-decide what they want to do, but knowing that essentially there is shit's going to happen real damn quick. Um, you know, all these Dwerger are fighting. I don't think they'll be able to hear anything that's happening. This Dwerger is going to, that's loyal to basically Dearth now, will follow Edmund. Um, I think, let's see if two of them, we could see that only maybe one of these Dwerger were loyal to Grandolphin, the upper right watchtower. So maybe while they're shooting down at these Dwerger down here, because I think the idea is the Zardarok forces, especially with Zardarok on his side and the Quagas on his side, I would be able to beat the Grandolfa forces unless... The players specifically intervene and somehow ally themselves with that. Although the Dwerger aren't going to be happy about allying themselves with um, non-Dwerger, basically, because they're they're following Edmund because he's disguised as Dearth. So that could be an interesting wrinkle as well. But Zardarok is A, he's Zardarok. I think I bolstered his stat block, and he would not be happy about any, dessert, um, any seditionists. And he's got all these Quagas that are loyal to him for whatever reason. Um, and so I think I'm going to have two complications in the form of, a, I think maybe a pair of Dwerger will run after Edmund here, but then Edmund's got this one henchman with him, which he can totally order around and whatever makes, you know, for the most entertaining moment there. But essentially he's going to probably want to be fleeing and rejoining the others. While the others, Zardarok will be ordering more Quagas to like, crash down that door and determine, and basically trying to get at, you know, Dearth presumably is the ringleader of this, um, and will be calling out orders to get to them, so. And meanwhile, if the players, the goal would be to get the players into that forge room and, and have a big cool fight happening without dragging it down into just a really tedious, like me having, you know, 20 different turns that I have to organize. Um, I think I would probably montage a lot of that stuff by just taking, you know, pairs of Dwergers out and just including a few of them. Um, in fact, I could easily just say every pair of Dwergers matched up and then you only have to fight a couple of them. And then there's some, you know, Quagas involved and Zardarok himself, I think could be really fun. Um, if they don't burst into this final room, then I think... They will break down this door at some point. The Quagas just will definitely have the means. And I think at that point, Zardarok will be calling, like barking out orders and essentially hinting at the fact that he's going to be releasing the dragon then and there. And I'm hoping that will motivate the players in. The thing that the players don't know is that this dragon is going to be released. <laughs> essentially the Bond villain, whether he lives or dies, no longer matters in terms of the story. Like, they can totally defeat Zardarok here. In fact, they absolutely should defeat Zardarok here at this point. The only thing is that might make this more interesting is if Zardarok were to set off the dragon and... If he ends up getting his butt kicked and he gets surrounded, I could have Zardarok retreat to the upper left corner, go through the door, you know, call for um, reinforcements or whatever, and actually retreat into the throne room because I've got a whole nother throne room fight here set up, which would have worked out better had the players hit this one first because it would have really drained them and had an interesting setup with Nildar and stuff that would have been separate from Zardarok. So it's a little bit of a bummer that they have to deal with Zardarok and then, you know, deal with this other event, which is basically the the genesis of the spores, um, you know, where they're getting the spore servants from, which is this captured Myconid. 
There's also a bunch of Dwarger who have recently captured an Umberhulk, which would just be a very insane thing to to <laughs> bring to this battle. I'm a little leery about um, introducing the Umber. I mean, my my poor players. I really put them through the ringer. I believe they've only gotten one like partial long rest since like five sessions ago. I basically threw Karkaloak and the Cave of the Berserkers at them and gave them one partial long rest, which means they were able to replenish their spell slots, but they were not able they were not able to fully heal. So at this point, they're basically out of hit dice. So many of them are very injured, which you could also argue is where you get the most entertaining, tense, you know, moments of D&D. Um, but it's tricky when you also got this much, like, content left because they just don't know, uh, you know, the, the breadth of this dungeon still. They... They assume this might just be it here. They don't know about this whole other side. So I'll kind of play it by ear in terms of how they're feeling, how the resources are doing, but it might be interesting. You know, is, is it more compelling to have Zardarok die here in the fortress, um, you know, releasing his dragon gloriously and having it crawl up through the chimney? Or is it better to have him release the dragon and then uh, retreat and just run through this throne room and, you know, as a, as a tactical retreat as the Quaggas kind of cover him? what the players don't realize is that the dragon is going to be released and then they're going to be like, Oh shit. what do we do? You know, how do we stop this thing? Um, and it's not an easy answer. <laughs> um, that's, and that's all another chapter. That's something we'll have to prep for, uh, in general destructions light, but that's something I'm looking forward to because it's a really fun way to cap off the entire like 10 town storyline. And, and really enter into the wider world of Icewind Dale, which I have Valen Harpel as a prisoner here up in X-28. I've replaced the just random-ass doppelganger. Fucking Wizards loves to just drop random-ass doppelganger. There's another random-ass doppelganger in Aetherin too, by the way. It's just like strapped to a table. I don't know why these just random-ass doppelgangers show up as prisoners somewhere that screw with your players, but there's a Goliath who could make a great entry point into, and yes, I was going to have him tied to the other Goliath in the Cave of the Berserkers. He was one that didn't like answer the call to Oral. Um, uh, he was a part of the group that the, uh, the Goliath werebear, what's her name? Oyarm in our talk. Um, you know, they, they went to seek her out to gain her power, her, um, werebearness, I guess. And she rejected them. You know, they weren't ready. And then Oral came to them, you know, in a blizzard later and kind of seduced them with, you know, promises of power and stuff. And the, the all the rest of them went and agreed, which were the four, I believe, and went to the Cave of the Berserkers. Whereas this one, I forget his name, um, Kapunuk, I think, something like that, um, rejected that and um, was basically nearly killed by the blizzard and then was captured by the Dwerger. Um, hoping they could give him information about, you know, the mountains and things around them, but he hasn't said a word. But that could be uh, hopefully a nice little NPC introduction to the Goliaths, because he will obviously tell them where the um, the Goliaths' um, uh, home is, and then they can do this whole other Goliath side story, which would be fun for Frey's character, because I think she's got that. She's the one with the axe that can unlock different rune powers and things. So I'm using that as a a, a major side quest stepping uh, uh Breadcrumb, I guess. And then Valen is obviously a huge NPC in the book, too much so to where um, it's a really badly written part where she just kind of shows up uh, at the beginning of chapter four, end of chapter three, and she has just all the information the players need. Yeah, Valen's quest needs help reaching. Yeah, she basically just literally shows up in I think in between chapter, or it's, I guess it's after chapter four, Sword and Dragon's no longer condition, uh, no longer immediate concern. Um, and just tells them about Aetherin, tells them like all the information they need, and then that's the rest of the campaign. And I think that's very poorly done. Um, there are better ways to do it, and I'm going to show you how to do it, because I think putting Valen here as a prisoner, and that's where she's been, um, helps... Uh, ingratiate herself to the players and players to her because it's always nice to free an NPC. And she will give the information that they kind of already know, which is about Avarice and Dizon and her. And the way I'm changing it is that they're actually chasing Ness Lantamir, who stole the Professor Orb um, 
and uh, inadvertently created the Endless Night because she discovered uh, Etherin, and then Oral freaked out and shut everything down. And now the wizards have kind of gone their separate ways trying to figure out where she is or what's going on there. And Valin will have more information for the players, but basically just give them the conversation like, hey, let's just get out of here and then I can kind of tell you from there. But she'll, in other words, she'll still be an important NPC for my players, but she won't know all the information. Instead, she will she will kind of give them the start of the next quest, which is basically going to be um, find... Ness Lantamir and hunt her down, and that's also going to lead to um, Valish Gaunt and learning about what Valish Gaunt did. And you have to go to Revel's End and go to the prison and go to his laboratory and all these things. And eventually, you have to figure out that we need to go to Sill of White and we have to go to Arl's, you know, officer base or whatever she's got, the island of Solstice. Like, all these things is going to be going. And I'm probably going to be guilty of doing it in a pretty linear fashion. I was trying to think of a way to like open it up. You know, video games do even. Linear RPGs do that thing where it's like, okay, now we need like three things and you can choose, um, you know, the order in which you want to do those things, but you're going to need those three things at some point anyway. I was trying to think of a way to to kind of do that. Um, and then I can just kind of scale things appropriately. But then I was like, well, I still want the On of Solstice to be the end of that thing. And so there's, uh, it might end up being a little more linear if I can't come up with a good way of opening things up. Honestly, the opening things up part of it is going to be like, hey, do you want to go do this, or do you want to go do the Goliath quest? Or do you want to go do that Dark Duchess quest, which is the that dragon side quest you got to go... Well, they don't know it's a dragon. The the, the uh, pirate ship treasure. So that'll be the kind of open-worldy you know, choice thing they have, is which one of those they do, but it might end up where the main, the main quest might end up a little bit more linear along the way. I don't know what's supposed to happen later in the campaign, but I have Zardarok die here. Wraps up a storyline, kind of. He's definitely going to die in this dungeon. Um, the only question is, do I want him to literally die in this forge room, or do I want him to try to escape into the throne room and bolster those forces there and, and basically just keep this entire dungeon rolling and on high alert? Because right now in the throne, we could ignore the Umber Hulk Dwarger thing for now. We can That's kind of a floating thing. We can choose to use it or not. But essentially, when they reach this point, there's Dwarger um, hauling up another underground, under dark creature they can, the Dwarger can use, and that's an Umber Hulk. Um, the other option is you treat it like a Rancor, right? And it's like Zardarok like retreats and like can pull a lever and like this gate opens down and the Umber Hulk comes crashing out. I think that could be pretty fucking cool. Um, that could be real fucking cool, actually. <laughs> that might be a, awful, though. I mean, again, the players are going to, deal with all you know they're going to deal with all this but they're I'm not actually going to have them fight like all of these dwarger because again they started the revolution so a lot of the dwarger be fighting each other I'm maybe only going to include a few of the dwarger that are actually going to be hostile to the players and then obviously Zardarok himself which is going to be a hard stat block I don't plan on having the Shardalan dragon I don't think I'm going to have it be um attacking the players i think it's going to be a question of like once zardarok realizes that the forge is under attack by like outside agents he's just gonna like initiate the countdown sequence of the dragon being released and then um the players just have to keep fighting from there i'll i'll, I'll i might include it as like something that happens on like initiative 20 is like the dragon bursts out of its things and it just crawls down here and then begin I don't what is its I mean with its flight speed it can probably just fucking leave out of here. The interesting thing is I tr- I want to I want to make the dragon like a cinematic thing and I don't want the players to feel like they fucked up. Um and I also don't want to make them think like oh shit we have to go and do something. You know, that's why I'm trying to make it more of like a cutscene thing for when the actual dragon takes off. It's got a flight of 90 feet, by the way. So, yeah, once it's, like, free and it spreads its actual wings, it's fucking gone. It's it's not gone. Actually, this, this thing is, like, 200 feet tall. So it's it's maybe halfway up the chute in one round and then the rest of the way. I guess Zardarok still has to have, like, um, maybe there's, a like, a horn attached to the top. Or, you know, one of those, like, you can talk in a, a thing and there's a tube going up. Because they have to tell the people up top to, hey, you got to open the fucking gates for the dragon. That would be the only thing. But I don't. I don't think I'm gonna plan on having the dragon. Um, it does have its malevolent presence, but only within 30 feet. They get close to it. 
Invisible Prince creature repeats the same thing in its turns. It's a charmed. Fixates on another creature object and the dragon mentally chooses. Oh wow, just straight up forces it to attack other creatures. Holy shit. That's that's good, and, and that's honestly gonna be a great thing for every time the dragon actually lands in a town and makes people fight each other. I, I'm really excited to try to work my way around dealing with chapter four, which is going back to ten towns and dealing with this dragon as not just a token on a battle map, but like an actual force of nature that's causing all these events to happen. So it's almost going to be what I'm going to try to do is like you go to a town and there's like all these little mini events or disaster situations that the players have to deal with. And then maybe there's some things they can do to the dragon or maybe it's just a question of just trying to survive and then help out the town while the dragon moves on to the next place. And then eventually you get to the last place. A lot of it kind of depends on what the players decide to do. But I want to try to avoid just making it like a regular like, okay, you know, here's the dragon's turn. It's going to do this and instead make it a really like serious deal. Yeah, swell shit. You know somebody's going to be like, well, I'm going to run on top of this dragon. <laughs> that would that would really fuck things up for me and the players. Is if, is if somehow I don't get this dragon free by the time the players are able to like reach it somehow. Um, in which case, at that point, if they do actually physically interact with the dragon, then I will have it at least attack or do something uh, to the other players. Uh, at least to the person on it, but ultimately it will try to fly out of the tunnel, but that person's going to be screwed pretty quick. And I will screw them up for doing that, because this, this dragon is going to fly. I don't think they have any way to stop that from happening. He said confidently. I guess I have to look at the spellcasters. Edmund, what do you have? Now, Edmund has the Shardolin Falls, which Shardolin Bands of Binding which are always a problem, and um, you could absolutely do that to Zardarok. But I'm leaning towards, you know, I played with this once where Arles, uh they used Arles like Flame to destroy it, which was kind of, I should have not done that because I meant for the Shardolin to be like a, uh, what do you call it, Kryptonite to Arles, so I meant to have the Shardolin affect Arles more than the Arles affects the Shardolin. But the Berserkers were able to use, like, the flame to melt the Shardolin. Obviously, if he tries to throw it at the dragon, the dragon's fucking made of Shardolin. So that shit's not going to stop the dragon. If anything, it's just going to make it stronger. Um, if they if he throws it at Zardarok, I mean, I, I think it gave Zardarok at least one legendary resistance anyway. But I'm tempted to do a a similar, like, DM magic, like he just... You know, pulls up his gauntlet, it wraps around his gauntlet, he doesn't give a shit or something. Maybe it would, like, turn off his gauntlet or something, but... I, I hate doing that too many times to him, but you should know that if you're trying to throw a thing made of Shardolin at something made of Shardolin, or somebody who's wearing a bunch of Shardolin stuff, then maybe there's some consequences there. I did give him Legendary Resistance. Um, He's got... He's got the Shardolin Blast, where I added a strength knockback thing. Um, and I think that's... He can't go invisible. That would actually help his retreat, wouldn't it? I guess I could add his extra damage thing. That's always something that D&D doesn't do much, which I think 4th Edition did a better job of, the bloodied thing. And obviously, like, video game RPGs do this pretty well. Where uh, when you reach like a, a halfway point in a boss fight, the boss suddenly, you know, in a lot of like older games, the boss would just get faster, <laughs> you know, and blink rapidly red or something. Um, but in like like JRPGs, a boss might gain like different abilities or bigger attacks or something. You have to learn new attack patterns. So that's kind of a simple way of doing that. It's just, hey, he does more damage, which is probably the most boring way to do it, but whatever. Could use oh hey Lumbi, yeah you could put glyphs of warding around the dragon's base yeah that's true um really keep somebody away from it or some kind of uh fail safe basically if somebody approaches I think I'm okay with letting a player approach but the thing is if they approach the dragon then they're gonna have to deal with the dragon and if they don't then I won't. That's pretty much going to be the difference. 
they stay away from the dragon, then the dragon will probably, like, on initiative 20 or something, it'll be, like, a cinematic thing where I'll be, you know, Dardarok will say, like, raise his gauntlet and, like, clinch it or something, and the um, dragon will just burst free of the things, like, keeping it in place, kind of, like, turn to life, and then flick its wings and just fucking hurtle down uh, up into the chimney, which I could, as a tease, briefly turn on at least its malevolent presence. I'm not, I don't think I'm gonna have it attack at all, but it could be fun to have it project that malevolent presence within 30 feet of wisdom saving throw. Um, each of its turns move as close to that target and use its action to make a melee. It has to be fixates on another creature object the dragon mentally chooses and must on each of its turns move as close as it can to that target and use its action to make a melee attack against it. The dragon doesn't choose a target the charmed creature can act normally on its turn. God, so it just has to spend its turns moving and attacking towards something unless at the end it makes the save. That could potentially be devastating. You could also have it just mentally project somebody into the fucking forge and have them just walk into the forge because I don't think there's any rules around that, right? Am I reading that right? Or be charmed by it for one minute. Creature can repeat the saving throw... It ends. They are immune to the to the effect for 24 hours, which could be interesting if the players haul ass back to deal with the dragon. Fixates on another creature or object the dragon mentally chooses. Close to that target is its action to make a melee attack against it. <laughs> so yeah, the dragon could mentally just choose the this fucking river of lava right here, which that actually have stats. If it does forge, the actual forge literally has a stat block. A large object with AC 13, 27 hit points, vulnerability to cold damage, immunity to fire, and psychic damage. Heart stops beating when reduced to zero hit points, rendering the forge inoperable. It's too bad that doesn't matter, though. It would be a good time for Frey to go all Wendigo. You know, unfortunately, she just hasn't engaged with... She's she's engaged with the... um, the grabbing of body parts thing to a lot of fun degrees, but she hasn't engaged with the mechanical side, which is interesting because a lot of players do the mechanical side and not the RP side. So she's actually done the RP side very well. The mechanical side, she hasn't been rolling those dice that I've been giving her or doing the like short rest benefits. I think she just did the last session. Um, and the way it triggers, I believe, is if you're rolling those dice that she gets for, for doing the cannibal thing, um, then if she rolls, I think, a one on one of those dice, then she transforms into the Wendigo, which is literally like a Yeti. <laughs> she basically becomes a Yeti who is hostile to everyone. With And she gets, like, temporary hit points as if, like, for a Yeti, I believe. And we have yet to see it because she's, I think she landed on, like, once that I can remember in 30 sessions, even rolled one of those dice. Uh, let's see. Ormond, Thantara, Six Quagas. Fight here brings reinforcements from Area 28, three Dwerger Hammerers. If a defeat seems likely, Zardarok retreats and makes his final stand in Deep Dwerger's Temple. So unfortunately, he's not going to be doing that here because A, the players just came from the wrong side. They came from Deep Dwerger's Temple. <laughs> so instead, he would retreat and make his final stand in basically the throne room which is kind of a bummer i may have to rejigger this whole throne room then because it's already set up like a scene like it was going to be its own scene with nildar here you know watching over a enlarged quaggeth like beating this myconid and a bunch of quaggas here this is also gonna be a really hard fight with all these creatures here holy crap and that might take away from it if it's like zardarok running to retreat and regroup um, in terms of the hammerers joining the fight, yes, I could have that happen. If the players to work out the kinks of this. So two things are going to happen that I can anticipate. Basically, this is Schrodinger's forge. <laughs> Either they enter the forge or they don't. And while they're not in the forge, 
<laughs> the, the twerker and the forge are neither alive or dead. <laughs> um, they're just in a state of fighting, basically. Now, I'm not going to let the players have that much prep time. I basically gave them, like, hey, I'm ending combat tentatively. You all can regroup briefly just to decide what you want to do. Um, but know that this hostile room is about to spill out into, you know, the outside. They, they At this point, at least one Dwarger knows that, you know, bad shit has happened in this temple. They may not know exactly what's going on, but they know that they sent two Quagas in there. And these doors have been shutting. Sounds of battle over the, you know, other end. So they know something fucked up is happening here. And then obviously they just saw, you know, Prince Dirth um, start the revolution. Throw some people off the balcony and retreat backwards. So... They have good reason to essentially send out a bit of an alarm here and obviously try to quell the rebellion. So either they enter the forge, in which case they will see things exactly like this, but with various Dwerger fighting each other, and with maybe, you know, Zardarok and like, you know, two or three Dwerger would probably turn on the players, which I think would be an appropriate um, challenge. And all these Quaggas back here, which Quaggas are no fucking joke, just because they're meat shields that stick around for a while. Or they don't enter the forge immediately and they stay back, in which case that... Um, I have to respond to that by throwing complications at them in the form of, as I mentioned earlier, I think two Dwerger will break off from this upper watchtower and go down the hallway to... and They'll, they'll be the Zardarok loyalists to go deal with Dirth, but then, you know, Edmund will have one Dwerger with him. Presumably he's going to be hauling ass back to the players, but we'll see. It's always Edmund. I can never anticipate necessarily what he's going to be doing. <laughs> um, and the other case will be, um, they'll be trying to break into this room here, which I think is just... How do you rule that? Is it contested strength checks? If one... I can't believe it hasn't come up yet in our campaign. I feel like it's happened a lot in previous campaigns where... One person's trying to enter a room, and another person is bracing against that to try to stop them from entering the room. I would assume that's just a simple strength, maybe athletics check contested between those two parties. And if it's a tie, I would assume the person trying to break in does not do it because it's you know you just maintain the status quo, which is they haven't gone to the room yet. So you can have that be the case. It would give the time the Dwarger a chance to enlarge which I think gives them... It's kind of give them some kind of strength advantage, right? Make strength checks with advantage. So yeah, they would be enlarged, making those strength checks with advantage. And um, it would give the chance to the... Basically give chance for the enemies to get in a better position um, with the Quagus and then Zodorak getting ready to shoot them down. So essentially I'm forcing this battle. It's just depending on... The players want to try to hang back and draw people into the temple, which is not a bad strategy. The only difference is um, they'll be hearing, you know, the dragon essentially being let loose. If they permanently stay back, that would be disappointing. <laughs> I can't force them to come into this forge room. Um, so I guess if they really never engage with this forge room, other than, like, staying back and letting enemies come to them... I would probably have all of the Quaggoths get sent in here and a, you know, a few of the attacking Dwerger. The rest of the Dwerger will mostly kill each other. I might just decide randomly. Some of them might be... Well, I guess you have to be one side would have to win because you can't just have it be both sides have survivors and I'll be fighting. I guess the other side could surrender if they were outnumbered. But if you've got most of the Dwerger from... I think I took 12 of the 15, and it was 10 of them were loyal. So you could almost say, that's too many, though. That would screw things up. I mean, the, the seditionists would be ahead. It would be one of each watchtower, and then, like, all these guys on the bottom. That doesn't work for me, so it needs to be, like, half that many. One on each watchtower, and then, like, Maybe five of them on the bottom would be loyalists, so they would all be fighting each other. With hopefully one or two could break off and fight the players. 
That's what I'm looking at planning. I don't plan on using these giant lizards down here at all. It seems like it's just too much going on, and it's just kind of even random that they're there. Um, you know, it'd be kind of interesting if they were actual mounts by the Dwarger being you. The only thing I would do is maybe the Dwarger that are bringing in the Umber Hulk would be mounted on giant lizards. Or maybe the lizards are, like, bringing the Umber Hulk in. Um, you know, they've got it, like, chained up or something. That could be kind of interesting. Just a neat visual. Rather than, like, a, you know, gate to release the Rancor. <laughs> Definitely not using these stupid rust monsters down here. This is way too much. So yeah, in terms of the Umber Hulk, I don't, I don't know. Maybe the players are just kicking ass so much. The Umber Hulk might be my, you know, hidden ace in the hole because I feel like there's already so much going on. Especially if Zardarok retreats into the throne room, you've got this cool little, um, not even a trapped hallway, just a bunch of Twerger there with like crossbows, which is dumb because they're not very good with crossbows. If you look at their stat block; they have like a plus two to hit. Um, but they, you know, it runs through here and. Players can perforate them. I guess there's this weird opening here, though, right? So they could... Yeah, it's weirdly open here. So presumably the ones in X18, couldn't they just fire out into the forge also? Is that written somewhere? Heard cracks in the walls. Guarded corridor between two sets of double doors. A corridor with a dozen arrow slits along its walls. Forge worker guards are stationed in a hallway to either side. Two per location. Just their normal weapons. These doors carry heavy crossbows. Plus two to hit. The deal 1d10 piercing damage. That's all it says. It is open on the roll 20 window. So I could... Well, yeah. I could have him shoot out of here. I wonder what that looks like from a player's point of view. Let's borrow a Robin real quick. Okay. You can definitely see into there. I need to close that out because it's a little too much vision. But that could be interesting. They could help cover the retreat Zardarok would make. I think this is specifically supposed to be a locked door, but Zardarok would obviously go through and open it. And, I mean, it might be enough if I just get rid of the Umber Hulk and the Dwerger here completely, have him run through this guarded corridor. You know, there's Dwerger there that can shoot in, and then he enters... Boy, that'd be really fun if the players actually catch him on his heels and then Zardarok is, like, running and then Nildar is there at the throne and he's, you know, be one of those interesting, like, well, well, well. Because Nildar doesn't like his, necessarily like his father either. Or maybe he does. I don't know. We could create this interesting family dynamic. <laughs> you always loved Turth more than me. Or maybe Zardarok will be dead by then. That's the fun part is I just don't know. A little bit... Less vision. So, a little more mysterious about what's going on in here. Hard to make lines that small. All right, what's that look like here? That's a little better. These more the, that looks more like murder holes. Um, which means I don't know if it's worth having these hammerers join it, unless I feel like it'd be interesting to have maybe the uh, the Grandolfa loyalists seem like they might actually win until these hammerers enter the fight, and then it gets real brutal and nasty because they just start demolishing the Dwerger. The Quaggas can do that too. I definitely don't want the players to miss these prisoners, so I'll need to be more obvious. I was thinking, because in the book it mentions the fact that they're just steel doors and they have to hear, like, sounds of knocking or yelling. Um, so I may turn that into more traditional prison cells where you can see inside. That way, hopefully it would bring the players over to the prisoner den because I very much need them to find Valin. You have the Umber Hulk's head with a covering, and the players can remove it and make everyone go crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's the uh, just a dangerous weapon they can point. I haven't we you know we fought one Umber Hulk in Princes of the Apocalypse, and it was such a it was one of my favorite moments of that campaign. 
which is very much a, I don't know what movie it's, it's probably from a couple of movies, but where like the villain literally like throws a, a lever and the floor, you know, drops down and drops the players down into like another area. And what it does, it drops the players down into like the bottom floor of a dungeon and in the same room as an Umber Hulk. And it was a really cool moment where they basically all fled from this creature that was like coming after them. And it was, it was really neat. It was not a straight up fight, um, but it was a really cool sequence. Shout out to a campaign I ran like four years ago <laughs> or maybe five years ago. I don't know. Time, time is crazy. Yeah, the confusing gaze. That sucks. It also makes three attacks and has an average of 100 hit points and an AC of 18. This is a, a fucking serious CR5 creature. <laughs> I mean, it's it's like a fucking boss monster just fucking randomly thrown into this dungeon full of creatures. It seems like a, as much fun as it could be. Oh, man, I don't know. Seems like it might be too much. And yet, having that Rancor moment could be fun. Nothing makes a villain cooler than being like, you know what, I don't need to fuck with you. I've got this other crazy monster that can fuck with you. Maybe having it not surrounded by a bunch of Dwarger would help as well. I think I'd have to read out, but I think it's literally being dragged up from... The Underdark at that moment, which I could have that not be the case. Let's see, what was this? X16. Northwest Cavern. Oh, you know what? It is like that. A large sack's been pulled over the creature's bulbous head. Fucking nailed it, Nick. This is literally how they're transporting it, which makes sense because you can't even, like, it's like a Medusa. It's like effects always on. A team of four Dwarga recently captured an Umber Hulk in the Underdark and brought it back here. How the fuck four Dwarga captured an Umber Hulk? That's a story for a different day. The characters challenged the Dwarga. The two enlarged... Oh, so only if the characters challenged they could just wave and walk by. The two enlarged ones... Okay, it does say in the description. Two of them much larger than normal. The two enlarged ones removed the sack covering the Umber Hulk's head and released the creature, after which all four Dwarga turned invisible. The infrated Umber Hulk sees the characters and attacks them. If the characters slay the Umber Hulk, the Dwarger attack them. Jeez. So that's the extent. I think it's literally just dumb luck, basically, that they happen to be bringing this Umber Hulk up. So you could keep that, and it would just be insanely bad luck that the players happen to stumble into that area. Or... As I said, you could make that a cool part of Zardarok's, like, you know, plan is that he escaped. You know, I, I could turn this instead of a fucking passage to the Underdark. This becomes a gate that the Umberhook is being kept in. Um, You know, maybe there's, like, some food out here that they feed it, but they keep, like, a, just a curtain. Like, could you use just... As long as you don't... Is it is it seeing? That's the Umberhook's eyes. When a creature starts its turn within 30 feet of the Umber Hulk and is able to see the Umber Hulk's eyes. Fusing, fusing eyes. Of course, the damn thing could burrow through solid rock. <sighs> Shit. <laughs> there is that. Um, so it's pretty hard to contain it. Maybe. Oh. Maybe it's kept in a. I mean, I could keep it being recently captured, but. The other thing is it's being kept in, like, a, a, a cage made of shardlin. It wouldn't be able to burrow through, perhaps. I'm not using any of them. I'm tempted to just literally make a... Yeah, I could release it on his own. I mean... I don't think it's going to be in this room. And I've already showed Edmund this room, so I can't just kind of... Create something. Could I? Um, 
Could I introduce the Umber Hulk in the Forge Room? Or is that way too much? <laughs> That's Zardarok's ace in the hole. Seems like too many. My players are only level 5. Bless their little hearts. Bless their poor little hearts. We keep it in this room. That at least separates it to where it's like a emergency, like, you know, hey, we were just going to keep this creature for whatever reason. You know, we could build like a little thing here. Um, looking at a corner of the map, it's got a little like tunnels in it and make that like a little steel cage they're keeping this under Hulk in. Umber Hulk. Or you can keep all these tunnels and everybody's like, what are these tunnels? Who made all these fucking tunnels? They've just got, I think, I don't know if they can just have an Umber Hulk roaming around though. <laughs> Or they could. Maybe the Umber Hulk got out. No, it's cooler if Zardarox got it. And my five-assed monkey. <laughs> you know, Valen, um, one of the things she will tell the players is that all of her things were stolen. So she. what's interesting here is I definitely want to encourage the players to get to free the prisoners because the prisoners could potentially help them if if they do the forge fight and Zardarok manages to escape into the throne room, which has more monsters, they could potentially still free um, Valen and the Goliath. Now, they'd have to give the Goliath a weapon, and Valen, unfortunately, doesn't have her spellbook, so she's kind of useless until they get that back. And I think this... What I'm going to... What I was planning on doing is have... First... Well, is her stuff in the prison... I was going to have it be in the vault. She, Her stat block, she's got magic items. And I was going to have her magic items have been comp, have been uh, confiscated by the Dwerger. So she's got a wand of magic missiles. And something else. I think a ring of protection. What else did she... Oh, bracers of defense. So she's got bracer of defense, a wand of magic missiles, and her spell book. I believe I was going to have her spell book, the wand, and the bracers all in that vault. Now, unfortunately, in order to get that vault, they have to defeat uh, Zardarok and use his gauntlet. That's true. You could always have it retreat. It's too much. It's just, I mean, it's a, it's a fun idea to use the Umber Hulk, but it's... Does this need it? Because Zardarok himself is already, hopefully, a satisfying boss fight in this room. And if he retreats into the throne room, you fight him again, but now he's got more fucking Quaggaths. I think they're... Are these Spore Servants or are these regulars? These are Spore Servants. Okay. I don't know if there's much of a difference. The Quagathonut, I know, has extra spells and abilities, and I gave him more hit points. Nildar, um, he's the one with the jars. He's the one with the missing fingers, by the way, that Bray cut off. But he's got his uh, jar abilities. The Mykonid is a non-combatant that maybe could be persuaded to be a combatant, another ally with the players, although I think, again, unfortunately, by the time they reach this point, I don't think they're going to need any more allies. What is the difference? So a regular Quaggath has 13 AC, average of 45 hit points, Wounded Fury, which is something I'm probably always going to forget about. Well, it's 10 or fewer hit points, and has advantage on attack rolls and deals extra damage. I think I might have remembered that last session, but I don't remember. And then it can do two attacks with its claws. A Spore Servant has literally the exact same stat block. 13 AC, same hit points, is there no difference between a spore servant? It's just a plant instead of a creature. No longer has the athletics proficiency, and it doesn't have its wounded fury. Its intelligence is lowered. Its wisdom is a lot lowered. So I guess it has worse saves, but... It has blind sight of 30. It's blind beyond this radius and gains a lot of new condition immunities. Why does it only have a CR of 1? It's almost still as powerful. 
is, damn, I mean, the Spore Servants are still legit. I guess they're more mindless. You'd have to roleplay as being them, um, not very tactical like the Quaggas possibly could be. So it's funny you guys talk about the Kaiju battle. One thing I was thinking would be really fun to do with the Shardle and Dragon in the next chapter, um, Destruction's Light, when it's actually destroying 10 towns, is maybe have Oral show up and have her be transformed into essentially, I hate how it's written in this, but it's written in the book that she rides this giant rock. It's a big ass bird. And every morning or night, she flies across the sky and literally like prevents the sun from rising. And it's written in the book that if she can't fly on this bird, then she can't no longer she can no longer do that. So one of the strategies you can do, you know, two thirds of the way through the campaign is just to go to a certain dungeon and destroy that bird. Which a rock's no joke, but still. And then that's it. That she can't do anymore. You've solved the campaign. That's dumb. Also, it's dumb that you that a somebody who's supposedly a goddess needs to ride a giant bird to be able to fly through the sky. There's a lot of dumb things going on there. So I love to make Aurel a lot more powerful, but also I hate. I also hate in the book that it says like, oh, she's inscrutable. She's a goddess and all. Like that's not fun. Nobody wants the inscrutable like no personality we like the greek mythology gods we like the gods that are made in our image the the ones that with the petty drama and, and the the high eccentric personalities and all that so although a goddess of winter would not be very um eccentric be very cold <laughs> um but my plan is to you know you can play with what's already in the book so okay maybe instead of riding this giant rock first of all we're going to change the rock to a giant snowy owl because that's just more thematic and second of all why not just have it be that she transforms into that as her um, way that she basically just flies around over her domain, over her home domain, which is Icewind Dale in general. Flies around this giant owl. So that would be pretty cool if the player's first sighting of Aurel, quote-unquote, in the flesh is as this giant owl who slams into the dragon and they basically fight each other like a little bit of a kaiju battle. Um, because although Aurel is obsessed with um, keeping Ether in a secret and making sure, you know, the wizards who are meddling her domain aren't, are, you know, sought after and shut down and basically nobody, you know, she wants to keep all that hidden. He very much does not want um, the Dwerger to destroy it either. And I don't like the idea that Aurel doesn't give a shit about her domain. I think she absolutely would. She doesn't have compassion for her followers because she's a goddess of winter. Although, again, in my campaign, I'm changing it to where she was a former wizard of Aetherin who ascended and that's what caused Aetherin to crash. Um, so she's got a cool backstory there, but I like the idea that gods and goddesses are ultimately um, powered by their followers. And so she would obviously not want her main followers, which would be the ones in Icewind Dale destroyed and conquered by this other invading force, which very much does not believe in Oral at all. So she would definitely her attention, you know, the, the Sauron eye that she's got right now, which is hunting the wizards, would be suddenly very much snapped to attention with this fucking giant, you know, Shardlin. Also, it's made out of Shardlin, which she freaks the fuck out of because that's from Aetherin. You know, that's a reminder of her um, former humanity. And and I think the interaction that, that Shardlin has on her would be probably shocking for her as well. She might not even be fully aware of what Shardlin can do to her. So... I am thinking that could be a cool kaiju battle. I definitely don't want to have it be where, oh, you know, Arl comes in and destroys the dragon, everybody's happy. Instead, it would be a case of like, you know, they do damage to each other. And the shocker is that everybody's, and, and everybody correctly says, oh, it's Arl. She's come to protect her faithful and stuff. And the shocker would be that, yes, she can kind of at least bring the dragon down to the ground to allow like the players to fight it. But also, she becomes very much, like, wounded and has to retreat by it because Shardlin seems to have that, you know, effect on on her. So I think that could be, um, hopefully, a pretty cool cinematic that would really transition us from Act 1 to Act 2 in my campaign, which is going from the, you know, the, the kind of mini-quest around Ten Towns thing um, with the Dwerger plot being the 
main quest, and then that one ends. Um, you know, with they they would they should absolutely defeat Zardarok here. They should solve the Dwerger threat here. However, they want to do that. They can cut a deal with Grandalfa, whatever they want to do. That's going to basically deal with the Dwerger threat, and then they will leave here and then have to go deal with the dragon as the last thing that the you know Dwerger did. The only interesting wrinkle I could do is I could throw the seeds to Id Ascendant at them, um, which is a part of the book that is really cool. It's it's another Chapter 2 side quest similar to Karkalok, where, um, and I guess Cave of the Berserkers, we've already done two. I've actually squeezed two of the Chapter 2 quests in um, in my Act 1. But Id Ascendant um, is the crashed Mind Flayer ship, which... Uh, will tie into Celeste's backstory. And that could also be really interesting. If the players play ball with them, maybe they could gain like an airship to, or at least an airship to go fight, you know, the Shardland Dragon or something. So all of that could be a possibility. So maybe instead of doing the oral thing, or I could use it still, but the airship could help them. Um, or maybe they'll just kill all the little creepy gnome mind flayers and call it a day. <laughs> it really depends. Um, or they could also ignore it and say like, well, yeah, we see this signal that, you know, is Celeste is being drawn to and, um, we'll go deal with that as a future side quest. Right now, we have to go deal with this Charl and Dragon threat right now, which would be an interesting implication if they do go after it Ascendant. I don't plan on keeping track of, like, you know, minute by minute, like, oh, another town is destroyed, but it definitely would create some consequence where if they go off and do something else that's not dealing with the Dragon threat, uh, then I would have to tick off some damage the Dragon is doing. But I think what I, everything I just described this session, I mean, we're talking about... This is going to last a couple more sessions. I mean, you you could easily have just this forge fight last a session, right? Which I think a lot of us want to do with our big um, premiere encounter fights, right? That you've got your nice maps for, you've got all your tokens for, you got all these battle prep plans for. I think we, a lot of DMs, we plan on having that be like a full session. Like that's what we're doing this session. So I could see that happening on Friday. It's basically we're just doing this Zardarok fight. Um... And the, the the basically what's going to happen on my end, I don't know what the player's going to do, but the, the Dwerger will basically be fighting each other for the most part, but still enough to where the, the, the players will have to deal with some Dwerger. Zardarok will obviously be fighting, the dragon will be released, and then Zardarok will hopefully, but not necessarily has to, retreat. Um, and then I've got to decide, which maybe we'll talk about that on Thursday, um, is whether I want to pull the trigger on this Umber Hulk or not as an additional, like, fucking boss fight they have to fight. And maybe I'll even make it Schrodinger's Umber Hulk where it exists and doesn't exist until I need it. Um, because ultimately he could retreat into this throne room and that could even be a huge fucking, you know, final, final fight for them to have to deal with. And then maybe it's a case of an interesting, like, rescue where during the very final moments, like, things are going bad for the players. Maybe I could have Grandalfa and more of her forces come in and actually help the players out, and then there can be more of a deal-making thing there. So, you know, ultimately I want the players to succeed, but you want to try to create that that tense um, back and forth and that tension throughout the session to where you're always striving for the players to feel like their victory is earned and not cheapened, I guess, not really necessarily just given to them, and that's a really hard line to walk uh, as a DM, but... Especially one where on roll 20, I roll everything publicly. I don't fudge any rolls. The thing I can fudge is um, tokens that players haven't encountered yet, which it's it's harder to remove tokens to make it easier, but I can add creatures to make it harder. That's easier to do because they can just pop in from somewhere. And hit points is the biggest thing. Um, hit points only I can see. The players don't see any hit points, so it's totally up to me on you know how how soon certain creatures die, or maybe I want them to stick around longer, but that is a rare case. But we've been going for about an hour, and that's usually how I like to do my crafting stream, so I think we'll call this special uh, Monday edition. I shouldn't call it special because I think this is kind of the way going forward. I, I'm enjoying doing another crafting stream. It gives me a chance to think about you know D&D earlier in the week, um, and... I think going forward, we're going to plan on doing the two streams. We're going to keep the Thursday one, um, and we'll do this Monday night one for crafting. So two crafting streams a week to prep, and then going into our Friday stream. And I'm excited to be back. Um, again, hope everyone had a wonderful 
holiday break, and I am excited again thinking about D&D and, uh, you know, anxious in all the right ways, I think, in terms of how the players are going to disrupt all my carefully laid plans, which if you notice, I didn't basically type anything <laughs> this entire session or move a lot of tokens around. It was just me talking and working through my thought process, and that's kind of where we're at. We're not doing, like, a lot of the room-to-room -room stuff is kind of set, but with the caveat that adjustments will have to be made basically on the fly, which is how it's going to be for probably most of the rest of this dungeon, unless they do something just completely different. All right, that will do it for this week's Crafting Icewind Dale. If you enjoy the content, please check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. Shoutouts to Platinum Patrons, Joe, Will, Tide Dancer, Christopher Thomas, Adam, Stan, Nathan, Alex, William, I'm Loud, Al, Furcon, and Kyle. And Gold Patrons, RPG Paper Crafts, Pretty Boy, and Yuma, Marcus, Dead Lizard, Lion, Sam, Lumpy Spuds, Drome, Sclenia, Blood Angel, Vronus, Baboon, Baboon, Nathan, Fasica, Tortoise, James, and Genocider. Thank you all very much for your support. I will see you for more crafting Icewind Dale on Thursday and for D&D Friday night.